0: I'm Ben Rosen, and this is The Sports Podcast. So, currently the FIFA international break is going on. Noah, your thoughts on this?
1: Um, it's... I Why? You're taking away from the competition for... Uh, I can understand with Euro qualifiers and kind of World Cup, but, like, that's an quite a while away I think two years so they got time to do that and I just don't really see what's the point of the Nations League because that seems pointless and pretty much just to get away from international friendlies. so it's been this this is what the summit's for
0: well obviously COVID-19 changed a lot of that and with like UEFA with the UEFA Nations League they're trying to add More important matches during the international break and not just random friendlies, I think. They're trying to
1: get some more competitive matches. I understand that, but there's no point for the international break. There is absolutely no reason that it needs to exist. You can do international games in the summer.
0: Well, it's easier if you have a blocked off window to be able to do that so that all the players are available. Especially when you get into these World Cup qualifying games.
1: Yes, and I can understand for those. But you could do those, once again, in summer. But other than that, other than for World Cup qualifiers and, like, Euro qualifiers, what else do you you need? What's, What's the point of anything else?
0: Well, it gives some friendlies.
1: Some friendlies. It's real interesting watching Scotland play Bulgaria. It's very interesting games.
0: I mean, what do you think of Team USA versus Wales?
1: Fine, I guess. I mean, something does have to be asked about both teams, but it was a fine game.
0: Do you think Bull or Halter can get them into the World Cup?
1: Maybe if if he plays his cards right, but I'm not really sure. They have a World Cup team, really. I feel like they could easily get beat by. You know, a way better team.
0: Looking forward to World Cup qualifiers as we we're just talking about with the U.S. What do you think of the way Concacaf looks right now as we get closer to the World Cup qualifiers?
1: Um. Concacaf. So. I'm just gonna pull it up. So. Can see here. I mean looks fine I guess. Not really sure what you're supposed to exactly be shocked about. I mean the groups are interesting, I guess. I mean there's the Dominican Republic being in the same group as Panama. It's bigger I guess. I mean Panama was in the World Cup and the Dominican Republic's definitely a threat. Some of these groups are definitely weak, but it's only for the first round of them.
0: What do you think we could see from these teams at the club level when they come back from, when the players come back from this like two week break?
1: I don't think we'll really see anything change because it's effectively just more games for them, so they'll probably be still at form.
0: What do you think of what's going on at Anfield right now in Liverpool? Because it seems like one by one by one, their star players keep being out for various different reasons.
1: I mean, yeah, Gomez is going to be out. And looking at the Liverpool team sheet...
0: Salah's out. Yeah. Because he tested positive for...
1: But that's not going to be too long-term for him. But I think probably center back, especially Gomez and... Van Dyke were the center backs the Liverpool were using pretty much all season. And were planning to. But now Gomez is out. Van Dyke is out. Matip comes in. That makes sense. But looking around, I'm not really seeing who you're going to play. I mean, Nathan Phillips is there. And other than that, there's really no one. So your subs. Liverpool subs for a center-back going to be dreadful, I can tell. But it comes down to what happens. And with Alexander-Arnold also getting injured, that's going to throw a wrench. But you could throw James Milner in at right back. And I think they're just going to have to watch. And I think it won't really affect them too much, as they have a rock-solid attack with Jota, Firmino, Mane. Anderson can play somewhat well up front. Well, at least in the midfield up front.
0: What do you think's been the biggest
1: surprise so far in the Premier League this season? In the Premier League. I mean, Southampton on fourth place and weren't fast for like 30 minutes. Um, Other than that, I mean, Man United in 14th. Kind of surprising. Ali out, probably should be going. Pep Guardiola's Man City in 10th. Something should probably be asked there. Probably, though, Villa in 6th place after beating, and they beat Liverpool 7-2. And beat Arsenal 3 nothing. And those are the real surprises. Now, I do want to ask you. So, in England, the championship in the Premier League are on international break. Now League 1 and League 2 and all below all leagues below League 1 do not go on international break. Do you think that shouldn't be happening? Do you think they should go on a break?
0: Well, it's hard to say because like some of the lower leagues don't have as th- many players that actually play on their international teams compared to the Premier League and the Championship.
1: Yeah. So do you find it odd though that the Championship goes on international break?
0: Not really. Especially because wife has been playing a bunch of games
1: Not to mention During this international break Championship Reading, top of the table Started it with 7 wins and a draw And then have lost 3 straight And are now coming to a game Versus Bournemouth Who are in 4th place Do you think that's going to be a real challenge for them? And of course If Watford and Norwich pick up wins Watford playing QPR, Norwich playing Middlesbrough should be wins. They will jump to the top two no matter what happens in that game unless Reading wins, but that seems pretty unlikely with their recent form.
0: So what have you thought about some of the other leagues now that we've touched on the Premier League looking at La Liga, the Bundesliga?
1: Uh Well, I'm going to start with the Bundesliga here. It's table's a bit surprising, just with the fact of, you know, top four looks pretty normal. Union Berlin in fifth, Wolfsburg sixth. Bit surprised how up they are. Augsburg had a really good start to the season, dropped to 10th right now. And bit surprised that Schalke is bottom, as they did have terrible form at the end of the year. But they have the team, and I do think something has to be asked about their coach of... Yeah, Manuel Bomb, which they did change over the summer from who they had, and I think I thought that was going to give them better form, but it clearly didn't, and that's a bit surprising. And if we look at La Liga, which is another top flight league, Real Sociedad top of the table at twenty points, Villarreal second, eighteen. Atletico Madrid, 3rd, 17 on only 7 games. Top 2 of 9 games. Madrid in 4th but the most shocking thing is Barcelona in 8th place at 11 points in 7 games. But also, Cadiz, which a lot of people won't care about this, but they're in 6th place after, I think they just came up. They're in either their 1st or 2nd year. up, And they're already definitely breaking for a top spot, but they do have 9 games compared to some other teams only have 7. So that's... That's a bit surprising. And Valencia's a ninth, also a bit surprising from that.
0: So, back to the Premier League for a second. What's going wrong with Man City and Man United?
1: It's. I feel for City, it's more of. It's simpler things, small droppings of points. If we go through, they they aren't playing too badly, but like 1 0 v Sheffield isn't exactly what you want to see especially when they're in the relegation zone. You've had 16 shots. You were away, to be fair. But if we go up a bit more, drop in two points to West Ham, probably not the most helpful. And go up even more, only being Arsenal one nothing, not the best. And, you know, John Leeds, none of those really helped. But for United, I feel like a bigger problem is just lo- losing, pretty much. Because 6-1 to uh, Tottenham really started off trend. They would beat Newcastle next week before a draw with Chelsea, which has then led to losing 1-0 to Arsenal and have beat Everton 3-1. But th- they've been playing really hard as they've been managing to keep up with some better teams like Chelsea and Everton, but have also dropped points to worse teams.
0: How long until we see Ollie out at Man U?
1: By the, by the end of the year, for sure. Um, probably by the beginning of December. Rumors have Maurizio Pochettino coming in, which I agree with. But we'll see. It ultimately will come down to, if they can pick up form, though, once they come back from international break, because they have West Brom before Southampton, and then Sydney. So get a break with West Brom, then got two harder matches, and I think that will ultimately determine when Hammer time comes for Ollie leaving. There's no way he's making it the whole year, though.
0: If Ollie's still the manager at the end of December, do you think he'll go deeper into December than Jose did when they?
1: No, he he probably won't, cause Jose went to about Christmas, just a few days off, but um. It's really going to come down once again to what their form coming back from the break is. And one thing I'm noticing is Oli's been able to get the best out of some players. He's gotten Rashford into a good position. Bruno's been playing pretty well. The problem is with this team, when they're on form, they play as a team that could probably make the finals of the Champions League. But when they're not on form, they could easily drop points to a championship team.
0: So what do you expect to see out of Man United coming out of the international break?
1: I expect they'll come to West Brom, and they've got to pick up form there, especially considering their... Well, it's West Brom, first of all. And not only is it West Brom, but it is also... Well, I believe it's a way to West Brom, but it's still West Brom. And the fact is, they're a team that's just looking for scraps. They got to get themselves out of the relegation zone. But with the way Manny Knight have played, this seems like the game. Sorry, it's home versus West Brom. But this seems like a game that they will drop points on. It just seems inevitable. Then they'll go to Southampton. My guess is they'll lose that one. And then... um times comes, they got West Ham, that's going to be 12-5. If he's not already sacked after losing to Southampton, when they drop points to West Ham, which I think will happen, that's going to seal the deal. He's gonna be going to be gone. So way you he's... think
0: that's the one, if they lose that one, he's out?
1: Yeah, I don't think he's making it to the City game on the 12th of December. Just doesn't seem that likely.
0: So you think the Manchester Derby could be the first game of a new era at Man U?
1: wouldn't really call it a new era I feel like ever since Alex Ferguson left it's that's been the new era you could say and problem is, Man United hasn't given that much time to their managers in the past they didn't give much to Louis van Gaal but they've given time to Ollie and he hasn't been able to really build that much they did pretty good last season but he hasn't done anything to carry that form to this year But the fact that in the last five games, they've drawn one, lost two, won two. That's not what you want to be looking at, especially when they are losing to teams that should be easy wins.
0: Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Hey, back. Hey. So yesterday we heard the big announcement in college basketball. March Madness will be played in one central location, likely the greater Indianapolis area. I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. One thing I would like to see Kentucky having to go to Assembly Hall (laughs) is Calipari's
2: refused to play there for nine years now. (laughs) That would really be fun, wouldn't it? I'll tell you what basketball isn't what it is without the state of Indiana it is such a crucial part to the sports history and such an integral part a part uh, of the sports soul so I think that that's a great decision by the NCAA you know we know what's happening right now in our world and what's happening in the sport of, of college basketball college football for that matter is you're getting seasons impacted already. You're getting teams who who have a positive test and have to sit out. So to centralize everything, I think it makes a lot of sense from the NCAA's perspective. That was really a no-brainer move to move the, the tournament to a central location, and there's really not a better state to choose than Indiana, and it's not a lock, but it's very, very likely to happen here as they're meeting with city officials. Indianapolis has proven that it can host major events. You know, with the NFL – Combine in the past, Final Fours in the past. I think that this is a no-brainer. It's certainly a a great idea. And think about it. Like you just said, Kentucky to Assembly Hall. Uh, How about some of these teams going to Hinkle Fieldhouse and playing at at one of basketball's cathedrals? It's such a cool place to take in a game. I'm sure that South Bend could be a location, Uh, the Joyce Center at Notre Dame. And then, of course, you got Lucas Oil Stadium hosting the Final Four. You have Bankers Life Fieldhouse, an option right in Indianapolis. Indiana can do this. I love the move by the NCAA. And, yes, sign me up for John Calipari heading to Assembly Hall. That would be fun.
0: One of the big stories in the conference you covered, the Big East, which has kind of been swept under the radar with all the craziness of the past few months, is UConn's back in the Big East.
2: Yeah, that is a a big storyline, Ben. And I'll tell you what, the timing is right for the Huskies. Dan Hurley is in year three. He's had a chance to lay the bricks for his culture and the foundation of his program. And for UConn, it just makes sense for them to be in the Big East Conference. It just didn't have the same feel for the Huskies and their basketball program being in the American. And so they have put basketball back as the priority sport, football going independent, and that signifies that they see the possibilities with hoops. And Dan Hurley is the guy that can put UConn back on the map. You know, people have talked about, How, yeah, UConn struggled in recent years. And, yes, by their standards, they absolutely have. But after Villanova, who's the Big East team that has the most recent national championship? UConn in 2014. So, you know, the Huskies can get to that level again. They're certainly on the right track. James Booknight is a star, and he's going to blossom for people across the country to continue to get to know him as a sophomore. The Huskies have a top 25 freshman class that's coming in. They're going to have another top-tier recruiting class next year, and they have a really good returning core of players. UConn is an NCAA tournament team this upcoming year. They could make a deep run in March.
0: What are you looking for here in the early season tournaments upcoming starting next week?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm really looking uh, at Villanova. You know, they are – in the legends classic out in Connecticut, and they're at Mohegan sun in that bubbleville. They are going to face Boston college on opening night. They should win that game. And then they could get number two Baylor on Thanksgiving night. We could have a number two versus number three game in Connecticut in bubbleville could be a really, really fun scene setter for the season. So I'm looking at Villanova. Um, I'm looking at at uh, Creighton in the crossover classic out in South Dakota. You know, they they're gonna take on a really uh, good South Dakota State team. And that bracket's pretty interesting. You know, there's a couple of interesting teams. Wichita State, Greg Marshall resigns. So what what does the future hold for Wichita State this season? I'm sure they have a lot to figure out. Um, so there's some interesting teams in that one, and then I think you gotta go down to nationally, Ben, Fort Myers tip off classic. On Thanksgiving Day, ahead of the Cowboys-Washington game, we're going to have a great matchup between Gonzaga, the number one team in the land, and Kansas, a top ten matchup. That is the game of the week next week, opening week, down in Fort Myers. Auburn and St. Joseph's are also in that, in that invitational. And we're going to get Auburn and Gonzaga on Black Friday as well. So the Zags are going to get tested right out of the gates. That's the national storyline, but I'm obviously taking a look at, at Villanova And if they can meet Baylor, uh, who wins that game? That would be really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think Gonzaga is going to be an interesting storyline as they have a really hard schedule to start. Mm -hmm. Iowa, Kansas, Baylor, Baylor, Seton Hall. That's the game to look forward to.
2: Yeah, it is. And for Seton Hall, we'll see. I hope that they're back uh, from their quarantine. They're shut down right now due to COVID-19. Hopefully they can play that game. They were supposed to play Louisville next week. But that the status of that game is a little bit uh, all over the place. But, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it'll be really interesting to see. Also, opening night next Wednesday, Arizona State will meet Baylor. Um, that should be a good game. You know, Arizona State, they bring back Remy Martin, who's going to be a top-tier NBA draft pick next summer. Watch out for Bobby Hurley's team. They might be the best team in the Pac-12 And the Sun Devils, they make no mistake, that team is stacked from top to bottom. I'm interested to see how they match up with the Baylor Bears.
0: So what do you think, besides Baylor, C and Hall, are some of the top matchups to look for in the Big East Big 12 battle?
2: Well, that's a great question. Uh, There are some really interesting matchups because you've got Kansas and Creighton from Fog Allen Fieldhouse and Creighton with Marcus Zagorowski back. Uh, He just gives you a chance every night against any team. Of course, they lose Tyshawn Alexander, a top three scorer in the Big East, who was a stalwart defender. But with Zegarowski and Mitch Ballock back, I'm interested to see what Creighton does uh, beyond those two in terms of their supporting cast. But I'm really intrigued to see what happens when they go on the road. I know that there won't be fans, but Kansas is Kansas. And the Jayhawks have uh, Marcus Garrett back. They have David McCormick in the paint. That's a team that scoring is going to be something they have to figure out. They have some youth coming in, and guys have to get their roles defined, but you can always trust Bill Self. You just know that he's going to find a way to put a team that can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament on the floor. So I'm fascinated by Creighton, Kansas. I'm also fascinated by Texas and Villanova um, because for Villanova, Colin Gillespie, is who stirs the drink for them at Point Garden for Texas? It starts with Matt Coleman. This is a big year for Shaka Smart, Ben. He's got to put it together. Texas is in the top 25. There's pressure on the Longhorns. If they could get a resolve against Villanova, that would be big. And then I think, you know, elsewhere, those are those are a couple of matchups. Just thinking about some of the others that come to mind in my head. Um, Marquette in Oklahoma State. You're going to have Cade Cunningham, the top recruit in the nation for the Cowboys. And, yeah, they're not postseason eligible, but still, Kate Cunningham is such a superstar. And on the other side, you've got Big East preseason freshman of the year, Dawson Garcia. That should be pretty fun.
0: Yeah, so looking at the Big East as a whole, who do you think are going to be some of the favorites to win the conference?
2: Well, there's one favorite, in my opinion, and it's Villanova. Villanova's not losing this league. They have everybody back except Sadiq Bay. And in an offseason, you can't really get your freshmen to come in and fully know your system. And it's hard to develop players. Villanova didn't have anybody to really work on. Um, they they just they're a well-oiled machine. Gillespie at the point, Justin Moore is my lead candidate for breakout player as a sophomore. I think that the six foot four wing is going to take off. He's got range, he defends, he drives. He's such a fascinating player. And then you've got Jermaine Samuels, a senior four. You've got a couple of reinforcements in um, Caleb Daniels, a Tulane transfer, who's a guard, and Eric Dixon, a redshirt freshman. Villanova is the favorite. Creighton would be two, and then after them, I'd go UConn, Seton Hall, Providence. That would be my top five in the Big East. Who
0: do you think's the team in the Big East that could surprise people this season?
2: St. John's. They're picked ninth in the Big East, but Mike Anderson has something going there in Queens. He brings in two junior college transfers. One is Vince Cole, and the other is Isaiah Moore. Moore is a legit athlete. I mean, he just he is going to come in from junior college, and I think he could shine in the Big East. He's a fascinating player. And then for St. John's Ben, they bring in a freshman point guard, Posh Alexander, who's going to run the show. And it's going to get significant playing time. So there's a lot. There's some ifs with this St. John's team. But I like the direction that Mike Anderson has the Red Storm going in. They're going to make you play their style, which is 40 minutes of hell. That originates from Nolan Richardson, the Arkansas legend. They're going to press. They're going to make you run. I like St. John's and their makeup.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with St. John's and some of these other teams, especially with the Big East having December games in large numbers this season. If we get an early sign in those December games of maybe this team is really good.
2: Exactly. You know, maybe they are. We'll see. St. John's has some, you know, some interesting tests uh, early on in their season. They have a, a game against Texas Tech. That's a big test for the Red Storm. That game is down in Lubbock. And Chris Beard's team will be one of the best in the country again. And then St. John's Conference opener December 11th is at UConn. St. John's has a tough Big East slate. At UConn, at Butler, then home to Creighton, who's a top 11 team in the country. And then they're home to Georgetown. If they could start 2-2 two and two in Big East play, i consider that a good thing.
0: What are some of the Big East games to watch in the month of December?
2: Well, um... You know, UConn's return to the Big East on December 11th is going to be fun. You know, you've got UConn-St. John's. Should be really uh, an interesting game because St. John's is kind of that sleeper. How does UConn adjust to being back in the Big East? We'll see how that works. Uh, Xavier in Providence, December 12th. You know, Xavier has question marks. I mean, they lose a a couple of impact players in Tyreek Jones uh, in their front court, they lose Quinn Gooden. They've got some youth. They've got Dwan Odom, a top tier recruit. He's going to join Kiki Tandy in the back court. Then you've got Zach Fremantle in the front court, a sophomore. Xavier's younger. How do they handle Providence? And, and Providence is picked third in the Big East. Do they live up to the hype and avoid a slow start? So that's one that I've got my finger on. Um, let's see. December the 17th, Seton Hall at Marquette. Those are two teams that are kind of around each other in the conference standings. The Pirates have Bryce Aiken at point guard, the Harvard transfer. They need him to, to stay healthy. And they've got Sandro Mamu Kelashvili. So I'm interested to see Mamu Kelashvili taking on Dawson Garcia and Marquette. And then UConn at Providence, Ben. If there's a game I'm looking forward to, it's the rivalry. Remember, Dan Hurley was at Rhode Island, and he and Ed Cooley did not get along when URI and PC met. So UConn Providence, December 17th in Providence, Rhode Island. That is going to be really interesting to see what happens in that game. I I am fascinated to see what happens. Creighton and UConn on December 20th. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with Creighton going on the road to UConn. Um, UConn kind of plays a rugged defensive game. Creighton loves high-octane offense. And then Villanova at Marquette December 23rd. Villanova's lost a couple of road games at Marquette in a row. So what happens when these two teams meet again in Milwaukee – we shall see.
0: Do you think, with COVID nineteen limiting fans, that we'll see home court advantage kind of go away?
2: Well, I do. You know, it's going to be very different. You're not going into hostile atmospheres. You're not going into these these crowds with just crazed fans. I still think it's tough to travel, and and to have to you know sleep in a hotel as opposed to sleeping in your own bed. Not having much of a routine when you travel, but there's no mistake. And I, I think that it's a five to seven point difference by not having a home court advantage. You know, you can't you you can't account for what fans bring to college basketball because they're on top of these courts. They create a real atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to be hard for these teams that have had home court advantages. That's why Creighton, Kansas, fascinates me because Fog Allen Fieldhouse is typically nuts. You know, you would say Kansas will beat Creighton, but it really creates a different dimension with Creighton going to Kansas this season.
0: So looking at a national level, what conference do you think is the deepest from top to bottom? Oh, there's
2: no question. It's the big 10, you know, Luca Garza and Iowa are so deep. They, they have basically seven starters Then you've got Wisconsin has all five starters back from last year. Um, they're just a, a loaded, loaded team and Greg guards, Defense is so dominant. So Wisconsin's going to be top 10. Illinois, the returns of Io DeSumo and Kofi Kochburn and the evolution of Brad Underwood's defense for the Fighting Illini has Illinois back in contention nationally for the first time in over a decade. And when I say nationally, I say Final Four-type hype. Illinois is a team that could not be slept on. They are legit good. Then I haven't even brought up Michigan State. Michigan State has Rocket Watts. They've got Aaron Henry. They'll figure things out. It's Tom Izzo. You know he will. You've got Rutgers. They've evolved. They're an NCAA tournament team. Ohio State has some questions to answer, but I, I like their makeup, and I I think that for them, C.J. Walker's a real – he's a staple at point guard, you know, and that's that's big for them to have him at point guard to run the show. We'll see what Justice Suing uh, and Seth Towns, the two transfers, bring to the Buckeyes. Michigan's a tournament team. So right there, I just mentioned seven teams, and I think there's a couple more that, that can be NCAA tournament teams. The Big Ten could send nine, maybe ten teams to the big dance.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what my Indiana Futures do in Archie Miller's fourth season. I think it's a make or break year for yeah, him. Yeah, it
2: is. It is, and I, I think they're good enough to be a tournament team, but we'll see what happens.
0: So now it's time. For everyone's favorite preseason exercise, who is
2: your final four? Ooh. Okay. So I am going to go with Virginia, Kihei Clark, and Sam Hauser, the impact transfer. I really like the the makeup of this Virginia team, and they're going to have perimeter shooting. That's a big difference for Tony Bennett's team. They're going to be able to score the ball somewhat consistently. That's what Hauser brings to the table. I like the Cavaliers. They're my first final fourteen. Then I go with Villanova. They're just such a complete team. It's tough to go against Villanova because of, of just how much they have coming back. So I will go with the Wildcats, Virginia, Villanova. Then I'm going with Illinois. I think uh, I'm, I'm all in on the train of Dasumu and Koch-Burn being back. I like the way the Illini are coming about. I like the fighting Illini. And then last but not least, hmm. You know, I'm giving a lot of thought to this, and I'm going to give you the wild card of wild cards. I'm going to take the Richmond Spiders to make the Final Four. Because if I go chalk, that's boring. People don't know a lot about um, Chris Mooney's team, but they're going to learn that Richmond has a really good core returning players. They bring basically everybody back from a team that was right near the top of the Atlantic 10 last year, I think Richmond, you do not want to see them in your region. I think they could have a Cinderella-type story. They are the team that uh, you don't want to see because of what they have coming back. Jacob Gilliard, their senior guard, he's just so stout. You've got Blake Francis, uh, uh, another guy that just provides something to their backcourt. And I really like what what I'm seeing from his coaching staff. Chris Mooney's done a great job. Watch out for Richmond here this year. Just taking a look at them again, you've got four guys that were in double figures last year that are all back. Really fun.
0: Yeah. So for my final four, I think Villanova, Jay, experience that that team has. Gonzaga, because they always seem to show up when it comes time for the tournament. And then, let's see, Baylor. I think they could be a team that surprises some people with all the focus being on Illinois and Iowa and some of these other teams. And then for my fourth team, I'm going to take Illinois. I almost put Iowa in there, but I don't think we'll see two Big Ten teams in the final. Yeah,
2: I, I get that. And, look, those are all good picks. I just want Richmond to try something different, and uh, they're kind of my mid-major team that could make a run. And it's it's always fun to make predictions. Because that's that's the thing. You know, that's what we do.
0: Yeah, I think if a mid-major that I think could go
2: on a run, Utah Yeah, team. really good pick. They're in the crossover classic uh, next week. We could get Utah State and Creighton in the second round. Utah State's going to face Wichita State in game one of that tournament. I like Utah State. How cool would a Utah State Creighton game be? Lots of experience on both teams and I expect scoring. Yeah.
0: So what is one storyline that you have for college basketball this season?
2: Well, health and safety and understanding that we're going to have obstacles. We're going to have games get canceled, but Dan Gavitt, the senior vice president of basketball said it yesterday, November 25th is a go. And that is the plan. So I think I think that uh, we're going to have some obstacles. We're going to have some cancellations, but let's all take it in stride and understand there's going to be alternative routes, but it's navigating through such an unprecedented season. That's my general storyline. And then my my other storyline that I'm looking at heading into this year is what happens in the Pac-12. This is a conference that, that has underperformed in recent years, but Mick Cronin has UCLA back in the right place. They got the return of uh of Chris Clark in the offseason. Then you've got, you know, um Arizona State. We talked about them a little bit and the potential that they have. Oregon, they'll be they are ranked. Those three teams are all ranked. What happens beyond them? Do we see Stanford and the core players they have? Uh, a really good freshman class. Do we see Jared Haas turn a corner? Beyond them, you know Sean Miller and Arizona are going to be in it. So the Pac-12 could send five maybe six tournament teams through. But will it happen, Ben? That's a storyline I'm looking out for out West. I don't think it's getting talked about a ton, but it's something that I have my eye on.
0: Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is going to be really interesting cuz there's no clear Yeah, favorite. there's
2: no clear favorite, but you have a, a couple of teams that are candidates. So how does how do things get figured out? It means we got to stay up late, man, and watch these games.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. November 25th, right? It is. It
2: is. I cannot wait. November 25th, right into Thanksgiving. You can't get a better combo than that.
0: Yeah, as John Rothstein has said on Twitter a few times, Thanksgiving Eve will not be <laughs> <the> <laughs> It same. won't. It will not be the same
2: exciting times.
0: Thank, thank you for coming Absolutely, on, Ben. Guys.
2: Anytime and hope to join you again during the season, man. Thanks for having me.
0: We're halfway through the NFL season, and some teams are going to be looking for a new head coach this upcoming offseason. Two of the top candidates, Texans interim head coach Romeo Cornell and Falcons interim head coach Raheem Morris. But I'm going to give you a list of some other candidates that we could see hired. First, looking at offense, and this is in no particular order. Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs Offensive Coordinator. I think he should be a head coach, and I think he will be hired as a head coach this offseason. Now, I don't know who it will be, but someone is going to hire him. Kellen Moore, Cowboys Offensive Coordinator. Another young, rising head coaching candidate. There are a few of those on this list. Arthur Smith. Titans offensive coordinator, just like Moore, a young up-and-coming candidate. Deuce Staley, Eagles assistant head coach and running backs coach. He's one that is a sleeper candidate on offense if you're looking for an offensive-minded head coach. And then Joe Brady. Panthers' offensive coordinator. Obviously, we saw what he did at LSU with Joe Burrow and everything that they did there last season. On the defensive side, Robert Sala, 49ers defensive coordinator. Got some interviews last year. I think he'll once again be a candidate. Vance Joseph, Cardinals defensive coordinator, former head coach. Same with Todd Bowles, Buccaneers defensive coordinator. Here's one that Probably won't happen this year, but could end up happening in a few years. Gerard Mayo, the Patriots inside linebackers coach. I would not be surprised if he ends up being a coordinator somewhere. And then Josh Boyer, the Dolphins defensive coordinator, also another candidate to look for. And then special teams, Dave Tobe, the Chiefs Assistant Head Coach and Special Teams Coordinator. John Fossil, Cowboys Special Teams Coordinator. Jody Camillus with the Jaguars is their Special Teams Coordinator. Dave Phipp, Eagles Special Teams Coordinator. And Darren Reitz, Saints Special Teams Coordinator. Some candidates that I've not already mentioned to watch. Chargers Offensive Coordinator Shane Steichen. Ravens defensive coordinator Don Martindale. I think those are two. I would not be surprised if the Texans keep Romeo Cornell. I think the Falcons are going to be looking for a new head coach. But I would not be surprised if Raheem Morris stays either. It just depends on what direction Arthur Blank wants to go in there. So yeah, there are many more candidates that... We could go through, but we'd be here all day. So those are just some of the top candidates to look for in the upcoming NFL head coach hiring season. Who else do you think will join the Texans and Falcons of teams that have changed, that will change head coaches during or at the end of this season? We'll have to wait and see and find out. I figured I'd give an uh, update on my upcoming Sportscaster Live broadcasting schedule. Obviously, this past week I took a bye week. Did not do a football game. I didn't think there were really any matchups worth doing. I debated doing Middle Tennessee Marshall because of the significance with being on the 50th anniversary of the Marshall Plane crash, but I opted not to do it. So, looking ahead, this Saturday, Indiana and Ohio State, top 10 matchup in the Big Ten, huge game in Columbus, as Indiana looks to beat Ohio State for the first time since 1988, I think. And then, Wednesday... College Hoops, I'm not sure what specific game yet. And then next Friday, so obviously next Wednesday, College Hoops, then Thanksgiving off. And then next Friday, college football, game to be determined. Then the following day, the sa- uh, Saturday, college football, game to be determined. The Friday game is likely going to be Iowa State-Texas. But we'll see. Depends on the rankings and whatnot. And then the Saturday game is likely going to be Auburn-Alabama. But obviously those could change. So yeah. And then obviously more college football the next few weeks. Some college hoops games mixed in there. So make sure to be on the lookout for those polls. Especially the college basketball ones. Because they're not going to be on a regular posting schedule like the football ones are. And coming out shortly. Here in a couple weeks when the TV selections are announced for the conference championship games. That will be one of the football polls coming up. As which conference championship game that I should call. So yeah. Be on the lookout for those. And yeah. Should know in the next couple days. I'm probably going to make the decision on what College Hoops game I'm doing on one. Next Wednesday. But it depends on what teams pull out. what What games get. Yeah. A whole lot of different factors. That play into it. So yeah. Just be sure to keep on the lookout for that. And yeah.
2: I'm Ben Rosen, and this is the Sports Podcast.